0: We're going to jump into reading the Bible now. So if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be reading from Jeremiah chapter 1 and verses 1 to 19. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said. I don't know how to speak, I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you, over nations and kingdoms, to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you've seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It's tilting towards us from the north. The Lord said to me, From the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Don't be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord.
1: Well, hello. I'm so sorry we can't be together with everyone face to face. Um, but the elders and our staff, look, we're praying for you. And on the assumption that we're going to be in this lockdown for a little while, We're already starting to think through what would be some great stuff that we can see happen uh, over the next however long we're in lockdown. And look, last time we did this, one of the things our church worked really hard at, that we all did well as a family, was just looking out for each other. Over the next week or two, I reckon now's a great time to start getting into the habit every day, just send a text to someone, send a Facebook message, give someone a call, just let's keep touching base as a family. We wanna come out of this Closer than when we went back in. But you know, one of the hardest things in life is actually standing up against your own family, isn't it? Standing up against your own people. Opposing your enemies is one thing. But when you've got to stand up against your family or your friends or your workplace. I watched a TED talk this week on how whistleblowers have actually shaped the course of history. Did you know that? Almost half of all frauds in companies are actually detected because someone on the inside blows the whistle. So it's not as if there's an auditor who finds it or the police. No, it takes someone on the inside to blow the whistle. In fact, some of the biggest cover-ups in history have been found out because someone actually stood up and said something. So the great Watergate scandal was only ever discovered because a man named Mark Felt leaked the wrongdoing to the Washington Post. And that actually brought down a presidency. Whistleblowing can change the world. Now, of course, it's incredibly costly, isn't it? You can imagine what happens when someone blows a whistle from the inside of an organization, complete ostracization, branded as a snitch, a weasel, a rat, losing your job, even death threats. That's why one study showed that nearly half of people wouldn't blow the whistle on an issue in an organisation, even if that issue actually threatened the life of the organisation itself. Because it's just too hard. Look, Jeremiah is the story of a whistleblower. A man who had to stand up against his own nation and call out the injustices and the wrongdoings. Although when I say a man, he was actually more of a boy, really. He was just a youth. And it wasn't just his organization. It was the hierarchy of his entire nation, kings and priests and leaders. And the costs to him personally were incredible. Jeremiah is going to be disowned by his own family. He's going to be arrested, beaten, imprisoned, threatened with death on numerous occasions. He'll spend time in hiding and eventually he will die in a foreign land. The cost to Jeremiah is incredible. But we're going to see it's worth it. So where does Jeremiah fit into the Bible story? I mean, we know it's in the Old Testament, but the Old Testament's huge. It's written over hundreds and hundreds of years. Well, look, here's a really helpful diagram. This diagram pretty much covers the whole course of history from beginning to end. And starting from the left, you can see we have the creation of the world and then the fall and then the flood. And then we have the patriarchs, the fathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And then after that, we had the Exodus when Israel came out of Egypt under Moses and they went into the promised land. And then after a while, after the judges and so on, the kings came along. Firstly, King Saul and then David and then Solomon, who built the temple. But after Solomon dies, his kingdom splits in two. It divides between the north and the south in 922 B.C. And the northern ten tribes, they keep the name Israel, and actually they go pretty bad, pretty much straight from the start. They set up a false temple in their new capital, a place called Samaria, and at no time at all, they're worshipping false gods. And so in 722 BC, God sends the Assyrians to scatter them all over the ancient world. They get wiped out. The southern two tribes, they take the name Judah. And they're a bit of a mixed bag. There are some good kings, there are some slightly dodgy kings. But by and large, Judah just slowly, slowly, slowly drifts away from God. Until in five, around about 586 BC, God sends the new superpower, this time the Babylonians. The Babylonians invade Jerusalem, they sack the whole city, they ransack the temple, and they carry everything and every one of any worth, of any value, off to Babylon. That was called the exile. And Jeremiah is right before the exile. He's these last 40 years of the southern kingdom Judah. So you can see the time frame in verse 1. Take a look. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. What we see here are the last five kings of Judah, Josiah down to Zedekiah, That's when Jeremiah's active. But at the end of verse 3, there, we're told how things are going to go. See the end of verse 3? When the people of Jerusalem went into exile. That's how things are going to play out in this book. In fact, almost the very last words of Jeremiah are so Judah went into captivity away from her land. That's the story. That's where we're heading, which means that reading Jeremiah is a little bit like watching that movie Titanic. You know how things are going to end. We know the ending right from the start. We know it's going to be tragic and it'll take all kinds of twists and turns to get there. But in the end, Judah is going to crash into the iceberg and sink as a nation which means that poor old Jeremiah's got a shocker of a job ahead of him. Hasn't he? He's prophesying to the sinking ship. He's the whistleblower that no one is going to listen to. Although I shouldn't say old Jeremiah, because when God calls him to be a prophet, look what Jeremiah says in verse six. He says, Alas, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. Jeremiah is literally a boy, a lad, a youth is probably what that word means. I think it's probably safe to say that Jeremiah is somewhere between 14 and 17 years old. Can you imagine standing up to your entire nation as a 14-year-old? Can you imagine having to stand up against leaders and kings and priests and tell them that God is going to destroy them as a 14 year old. What a job! Jeremiah is about as weak a prophet as you could possibly choose. But as weak and as young as Jeremiah is, God is mighty. The weak prophet is being sent by a mighty God. And in chapter one, God says a bunch of things that should give Jeremiah enormous heart, enormous courage and confidence, and to go and preach with boldness. For a start, God tells Jeremiah that he has chosen him for the job. So look in verse four. God says, the word of the Lord came to me, says Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. See, God says three huge things to Jeremiah there. I knew you. I set you apart. I appointed you all before you were even born. In other words, Jeremiah was born for this job. He mightn't have known it, but God did. God planned it that way and look, place yourself in Jeremiah's shoes. That would give you incredible heart, wouldn't it? Because God knows what he's doing. Jeremiah is about to face people and events that are far bigger than any teenager could ever face. He is thoroughly inequipped for the job. He is a boy in a storm. But God says, I knew you and I chose you. And I appointed you for this before you were even born. And that word know, it's more than know about. It's know deeply. It's know intimately. It's got that sense of being cared for, of being loved. God cared for Jeremiah. He loved Jeremiah before he even made him, and he set him apart for this job long before he was even born. Now, that is tremendously encouraging, isn't it? Just like god knowing and choosing us before we were born is tremendously encouraging because you know god if you're a christian god actually says something quite similar to you in ephesians chapter 1 paul says praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. See, we haven't been chosen and set apart to be prophets. God actually chose us to be something far greater. Verse four, before the creation of the world, God chose us to be holy and blameless. And verse 5, he predestined us not just to be prophets, but to be his children, sons and daughters, before he even made the world. It's funny, Christians often see this predestination idea as kind of a a hard idea, a bad idea, a threatening idea. But Paul says, no, this is actually something to praise God for. Because you know what it means? It means certainty. God had plans for me before he even created the world. Plans that I'd be his child. Plans that I'd be blameless through Jesus Christ. That means certainty because God knows what he's doing. It means I can't muck it up. I mean, I'm going to make mistakes in my life. I'm going to commit sins. I'm going to do things that I really regret. But I have this one enormous comfort. Long before I did any of those things, God already chose me. God didn't choose me because I was perfect. He chose me knowing that I would be imperfect. None of my sins have ever caught God by surprise. He chose me and he knows what he's doing. And that means he knows how to bring me home. It's incredibly comforting, isn't it? Just like it would have been comforting for Jeremiah, the boy, sent to do a grown-up's job. Especially because... God didn't just choose Jeremiah. He also promises to be with him. So have a look in verse seven. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. You see, God promises to be with Jeremiah and to rescue him verse 8 i'm with you and i'll rescue you again that's tremendously encouraging for a young prophet isn't it he's he's being sent out to do the toughest job but god says you are not going alone you know there's a couple of things that i really love about the way god handles young jeremiah here the first thing is god does not shrink back from calling jeremiah to do an incredibly hard job does he god doesn't shrink back from that verse 7 god says do not say that I'm too young. You must go to whoever I send you to and say whatever I command you. In other words, God says, this is your job, Jeremiah. Go on, get on with it. God doesn't shrink back from calling Jeremiah to do what's hard. But he does promise to go with him. I think there's a great lesson for us there as well. Because if you're a Christian, God calls us to do some incredibly hard things, doesn't he? Getting rid of sin in our lives, that's really hard. In the New Testament, God says, be holy because I'm holy. Put off your old self, put on the new self. That is really hard. And God doesn't shrink back from calling us to do it. But he is with us in it. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can do it. God gives us his word to teach us how to do it. He gives us other people around us to encourage us to do the most difficult things. God calls us as Christians to do really hard things, but he promises to be with us. Just as Jesus calls us to do something incredibly hard. At the end of Matthew, Jesus says to us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. What an impossible task, right? Jesus is calling us to take the gospel to the nations, to call upon Jesus, to put people to worship Jesus as their king. And in our case, to do it in a country that just like Jeremiah doesn't want to hear about it. This is an incredibly hard thing to do. And yet look how Jesus finishes. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Very same words that God says to Jeremiah, I am with you. See, we have a God and a Lord who calls us to do tough things, put off sin, preach the gospel to a hostile world, sometimes to suffer incredibly. But he doesn't call us to do them alone. He's with us. He helps us through it. When you're finding the Christian life difficult, ask God to remind you of this. Dwell on this fact. You are not alone use that to encourage your heart like it would have encouraged jeremiah you know there's something else that i find really helpful in the way god handles jeremiah here just have another look at what god says in verse 8 he says do not be afraid of them for i am with you and will rescue you declares the lord God says that he's going to rescue Jeremiah. He says the same thing down in verse 17. Look in verse 17. He says, get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today, I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests and the people in the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you for I am with you and will rescue you. See, again, God says, I'm with you and I'll rescue you. And God will rescue Jeremiah. But he doesn't promise that Jeremiah won't suffer. Jeremiah is going to suffer tremendously throughout this book. He's going to be disowned by his family. He's gonna be arrested, he's gonna be beaten, he's gonna be imprisoned, he's gonna be threatened with death, he's gonna be betrayed. Jeremiah suffers tremendously. And when God promises to rescue Jeremiah, he's not promising that he won't suffer. No, he's promising to rescue him through the suffering. Have another look at what God says in verse 18. He says, today I have made you a fortified city an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. Those three things, a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall, they're all things designed to resist, to withstand a tremendous battering. And Jeremiah is going to take a tremendous battering. But God promises to rescue him through it. And in fact, God promises, makes the same kind of promise to us. In 1 Peter, he says, In his great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in, in heaven for you, who through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. See, Peter says God's given us some incredible promises, new birth, a living hope, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for us. And in verse 5 we get this wonderful promise, God's power shields us until the salvation comes. But notice we're not shielded from trials. No, verse six, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. As Christians, even as we're rescued, even as we're shielded, we do still suffer. See, there's a kind of Christianity around about these days that says, if you're a Christian, you should never suffer. If you have enough faith, you won't be sick. You won't be poor. The Christian life is meant to be prosperity and victory and and happiness. That's a hugely popular form of Christianity these days. But it's not Peter's Christianity, is it? Peter says we will suffer grief in all kinds of trials. As Christians, we're gonna suffer pretty much from all the things that normal people in this world suffer from, aren't we? We're going to suffer from sickness. We're going to suffer from death, from pain and loss. COVID affects Christians just as much as it affects non-Christians. But we're also going to suffer from the things that normal people don't suffer from. We're going to suffer because we wear Jesus' name. We're going to suffer because we stand up for Jesus' truth. We're going to suffer persecution. And God doesn't promise to rescue us from these things. He promises to rescue us through them. He'll keep us believing in him. He'll keep us firm. He'll even use the trial to strengthen us, turn us into an iron pillar. That's real Christianity. It was Peter's Christianity. It was Jeremiah's Christianity. So God's chosen Jeremiah He'll be with Jeremiah. The next thing God promises is he will speak through Jeremiah. So have a look in verse nine. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So God goes through this symbolic ceremony of touching Jeremiah's mouth. And he says, I have put my words in your mouth. In other words, you're going to be my mouthpiece. Just like up in verse seven, when God said, you must go to everyone I send to you and say whatever I command you. That is, it's not going to be Jeremiah speaking to Judah. It will be God speaking to Judah through Jeremiah, using Jeremiah's words. What will God say to Judah? Judah. Well, have a look down in verse 13. This is going to be Judah's message. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that's boiling, I answered. It's tilting towards us from the north. And the Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come up will come and set up their thrones at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They'll come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. The message that God puts on Jeremiah's lips is judgment foreign kings are gonna come and set up their thrones at the gates of Jerusalem. Because verse 16, Judah has worshiped foreign gods. They've worshiped statues and idols that their hands have made. That's the message that God is gonna speak through Jeremiah. And the next thing is, God tells Jeremiah that he will fulfill his word. God will do what he says. So take a look in verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. And the Lord said to me, you've seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. See, just like an almond tree bearing its fruit to its nuts, God's word is going to bear its fruit too. God is going to watch to see that his word is fulfilled. And so by the end of the book, Judah will cease to be a nation. And Babylon will have begun to reign supreme. God will make his word come true. And it's interesting. Jeremiah actually teaches us something really important about prophecy here. Prophecy isn't just predicting the future. Prophecy is making the future. See, Jeremiah is different to a fortune teller here. He's different to a soothsayer. So the soothsayer, they just predict the future but they don't make it happen. They've got no power over the future. But prophecy is different. Prophecy is declaring the future. Prophecy shapes the future. So look at the power God gives Jeremiah in verse 10. He says, see, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Through God's word, Jeremiah is gonna bring down nations and kingdoms, he's gonna tear down and uproot. That is God's word doesn't just predict, it enacts. Just like when God said, let there be light and there was, so Jeremiah is gonna say, let there be judgment and there will be. It does show us the tremendous power of God's word, doesn't it? God speaks and universes are created. God speaks and nations rise and fall. God speaks. And human hearts are warmed and changed. Human minds are transformed. Have a look how Paul describes the power that we actually have in God's word. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Those words are amazingly encouraging, aren't they? That friend who you're talking to about Jesus and they've got all their arguments. They've got all their ideas and you know, they're cleverer than you. And you know, they're more thought out than you. And you don't have the answers and you don't have the words to convince them. But God's word has power to demolish strongholds, whether it's the stronghold of Jerusalem or the stronghold of my arguments. So trust God's word. When your friend asks you, don't try and sound clever. Don't try and be clever. Just tell them what the Bible says. Say, here is the word of the Lord. Invite them along to life so that they can hear someone else explain the word. God changed your mind. God's word changed your mind. It can change theirs too, can't it? And yet more than just God's word being powerful for our friends, God's word's powerful for us, isn't it? When God says, I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled, That is as true for us as it ever was for Jeremiah, isn't it? All of God's promises to us. The promise that God has made to you, that your sins are forgiven. The word that God has said to you that one day Jesus is going to return. This beautiful promise of heaven. This promise of joy. The promise to change us. God is watching to see those words fulfilled too, isn't he? It's the nature of God to fulfill his word. It's the nature of human beings to lie. We lie all the time, but not our God. It's funny, you know, I I lose sight of this sometimes. It's not that I ever consciously doubt that God will keep his promise to me, but I find myself getting down. I lose heart. When I see my sin and how slow I am to change, I grow weary when I see how hard hearted people are, how fiercely anti God our cultures become. I get discouraged and I lose heart. But the book of Jeremiah reminds us of the nature of our God. He is watching to see that His word is fulfilled. You know, poor young Jeremiah. 15, 16 years old, he barely knows what is about to hit him. But could you get four more encouraging words from God? I knew you before I made you. I'll be with you and I'll rescue you. I will speak through you and I will fulfill my word. That'd get you going, wouldn't it? So look how God finishes this section in verse 17. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, don't be terrified by them or I'll terrify you before them. Today, I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests and the people of the land. They'll fight against you, but will not overcome you for I'm with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Is it what God says? Come on, Jeremiah, on your feet. Get yourself ready. Stand up and speak. Be more scared of me than you are of them. And they'll fight against you, but that's okay. We'll win in the end. I'll rescue you. Are you looking forward to exploring, Jeremiah? I am. I can't wait to see how all of this plays itself out as we follow a boy prophet through the most extraordinary ordeal. I'm actually just after this week. I'm finding myself really fond of Jeremiah. I admire him already. I feel for him. And yet in Jeremiah, we're actually only ever seeing a pale reflection of Jesus, aren't we? Jesus, who also stood up against an entire nation, Jesus who also preached against kings and priests. Jesus who also brought a message of judgment and repentance. And Jesus who was attacked and hated and ultimately killed on a cross. And who all the while trusted God to rescue him. Have a look how the author of Hebrews describes Jesus in chapter 12. See, Jeremiah is really just a pale reflection of his king to come, wasn't he? Jesus endured far worse than Jeremiah ever did. Jesus endured the cross of God's anger and scorn. But just like Jeremiah, he did it because he could see the rescue to come. The rescue of his resurrection and his reign. And so as we explore Jeremiah, we're going to see that our goal is not to admire him, as admirable as young Jeremiah is, it's to admire Jesus. We're going to get to know Jesus better as we look through this book and hopefully fix our eyes more fully on Jesus so that as we endure opposition for being whistleblowers in our world, we won't grow weary and we won't lose heart. But like Jeremiah and Jesus, we'll stand up and speak. Let's pray, shall we? Our great God, we thank you for this book, this magnificent book. As we think of what this poor young boy was sent out to do, we shrink back from that. We find it hard just to speak in the world that we're called to speak to. We praise you for your promises to him. The promise that you knew him before you even made him, just as you knew us and chose us. The promise that you would be with him and rescue him just as you promised to be with us and rescue us through suffering. The promise to speak through him just as we speak your words to the world and the promise to fulfill your word just as you fulfill your promises to us. But we pray that we'll know more about Jesus through this great book, Jesus the King who came and stood up and preached. We pray that Jeremiah will be a lens, that we see the magnificence of Jesus through. In his name we pray, amen.